So as mentioned, today we will be honoring and celebrating the victorious death of Jesus that brings fullness of life to all who believe. And it feels strange in a way to to talk about victorious death because death is actually a common topic right now in our world and it's not a victorious death topic. Death is, is something that is crippling. The fear of death is crippling. It's a, a, a topic that is on the minds and hearts of, of pretty much the whole world. Many right now are, are going online just to see the daily death toll. If you watch any news right now, most news organizations have, have a death toll right now up as, as like a, a permanent morbid scoreboard of what's going on in our world with the, with the coronavirus. And for, for many, they, they have encountered death of someone that they know or someone that they know that knows them. I mean, there's the death seems to be knocking on people's doors and freaking the world out. I opened up a new source uh, not too long ago, just a few days, and I've been intentionally trying to stay informed, but at the same time limit my consumption, because I do believe God calls us to fix our eyes on things above, focus our hearts on the truth of God's headlines, God's perspective, and so we do have to be careful with how much we inundate ourselves with, with negativity. So there's a a tension there. Stay informed, but make sure that God's truth in the headlines of his word is your primary meditation. But anyway, so I went online to just stay informed about what's going on, and it was literally not even two seconds of reading the headlines, and bam, what's in front of me? A headline that says this, coronavirus preys on what terrifies us. Well, of course, it did its job and, and got me to feel like I've got to click that. Coronavirus preys on what terrifies us. So I clicked and, and, and read an article about how coronavirus preys on our deepest fear of dying alone. And it had this whole long article. And, and a lot of it you can empathize with. It's, that's a horrible thing and a, and a terrifying thing. It was talking about how in some places they're wrestling with if someone's got the coronavirus and they're dying, do we just have to let them die alone in a nursing home, let's say, so that they don't infect other people? And how just the, the horrible human tragedy of that, the idea of dying and not having loving, love, loving loved ones surrounding you, being able to remind you how loved you are, being able to comfort you, being able to touch you, being able to pray with you. They didn't add prayer there in the article, but I would imagine for my own sake. But the article just painted a very, very bleak and scary picture, of course, 
but it tapped into something right now that is, is just across the world coming up and increasingly so even as we hear, you know, morbid predictions of numbers increasing, just this reality of facing death, facing our mortality and the fear of death that, that's swirling around like a tornado. And as I, as I read the article, I couldn't help but immediately think of the headline of God's word that I had just read a couple days prior in the book of Hebrews and how it clashed with what the sense was. And as you read these articles in the news, there's this, like, this overwhelming, like these, this atmosphere comes upon you, just fear of death. And then God's word was ringing in my head of like, wait a second, didn't you just read something a couple days ago that clashes with this? And I was reminded of Hebrews chapter 2. So I went and, and read, and it's amazing how when you read God's word regularly and God's word is your headlines, it, it's renewing your mind, but, and you can feel the clash of how things around you are going to try to battle against that. That's why it's so important to be in God's word, especially in hard times. So I went, and I was like, I know there's something about this. So we just read it. So Hebrews chapter 2 says this, that in verse 15, Jesus came to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Think about that right there. Jesus came. To deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And contrast that with what we're seeing and hearing and feeling in our world every day. That this crisis is causing us to face our own mortality. And the typical, most typical response is fear. And then this verse comes along and reminds us. That although not, it's not comfortable, it's healthy to actually face our own mortality. Not in a morbid way, but a huge underlying motivation of the gospel, of the good news of salvation, has this question in it of what happens to you when you die? Are you ready to meet God? Is your soul at peace with God. So as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, a huge part of what we are worshiping Jesus for is a victorious Christ who has set us free from the fear of and the power of ultimate death. Let's go a little deeper into Hebrews. Now that's our prayer today, that that reality of Jesus setting us free from the fear of and the power of death would be encountered in a fresh and deeper way for all of us. Hebrews 2, 14 to 15 says it like this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things so that through his death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil 
and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. I mean, that right there, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, is a phenomenal verse to focus on this week in Holy Week as we move towards Good Friday, as we move towards the cross. That is a verse to meditate on. That's a place to dwell on, to come back to. Maybe you want to do it every day this week. Just take these two verses and, and think through what, what is the fullness of what this means and God, would you make it more real to me? That's what we're going after today. One quick summary here is just that this is, Jesus is the lion, the lion of Judah. He, he, he did not come to earth just to give us uh, you know, bumper sticker type teachings that, that maybe are you know, similar to a, a self-help guru that makes us a little bit more you know, comfortable in our life. No way. He came, listen to that language, to destroy. He was on a mission of destruction. This is the Jesus of Revelation chapter 3 where you do not mess with this guy. His hair is on fire. His eyes are blazing. He's full of authority and power, and he's on a path of destruction. He came to destroy the work of the enemy. He came to destroy the one who holds the power of death, that is the devil. Good Friday was a mission of destruction. It was a choice on Jesus' part, as he said in the book of John, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. It's the necessary sacrifice. I love that Jesus said that about himself. I lay it down of my own accord. I am on a mission for destruction. And what it's going to take, it's going to cost me everything. But it's worth it. But it is a mission that is going to destroy disarm the enemy and destroy the power of death. It goes on in verses, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like, he's, Jesus had to be made like his brothers and sisters, talking about humanity, in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. That right there is the, just the gospel 101, Hebrews 2, 14 through 17. Jesus on this mission to destroy the power of death by being the one who made the sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the world. So when we take the elements in a little bit, we are declaring that we believe the death of Jesus is the solution for our death. His shed blood is on our behalf. His broken body is on our behalf. That's gospel 101. His victorious death destroys the power of death. And therefore, what it's saying is, therefore, his death is the promise of new life and therefore can set us free 
from slavery to the fear of death. Because when we know in the depths of our being that eternity is secure, it will set us free from slavery to the fear of death. That's not saying that we want to die now because we don't care about life. Not at all. I'm not ready to die right now. I believe I have a lot more living to do. I have a wife. I've got young kids. I have a lot more to do. But set free from the slavery to the fear of death, which is rooted in this, my soul has no anchor. I do not yet have peace with God. I am not right with God. And the death of Jesus is saying, that doesn't have to be anywhere in you. You can get set free from that slavery to the fear of death. Because you know your eternal life is secure. I want to take us to an inspiring example of that. We saw it a few weeks ago in the person of the Apostle Paul, but even a couple more verses deeper into his text there than we read last time shows us this incredible strength that he had truly been set free from the slavery to the fear of death. And that's available for all of us. Philippians 1, 19 to 21. A little bit of context. He's in prison. He has been imprisoned for his preaching of the gospel. It's made him at odds with the authorities. And he doesn't know if he's ever going to get out of prison or what may happen. He's in prison, most likely in Rome. And Nero, who is a psycho and is tarring Christians and burning them on his front lawn to send a message that I don't like you Christians and I'm coming after you. Paul is in prison within close proximity to this leader. And yet he says this, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this situation, which he clearly refers to a little bit earlier, this situation of his imprisonment, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this situation will turn out for my deliverance. Hold on to that word. We'll get back to it. As it is, my eager expectation, expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. How do you look in the face of death or potential death and be filled with hope? How is that possible? Remember, Paul is a real person. This is not a, a fake fairy tale or just, oh, these are heroic figures that can't live like we live. No, not at all. This is just that the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ had become very real to Paul. His victorious death had, had brought Paul fullness of life. This is a testimony. He is a credible witness 
This is the guy who had a lot to lose in following Jesus. And yet his testimony is, oh, is it worth it? In Philippians 3, he says this. If anyone else, chapter, or verse 4, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Meaning, if anyone out there thinks that they should build their own life by their own strengths and their own merits and their own upbringing and their own education, which that's the temptation for all of us. That's where our security lies, right? You've built a life for yourself. You have an identity. It's based on your education, your job, your checkbook, your background, what other people think of you. Are you respected? And what's crazy right now is so much of that is getting stripped away. It's being revealed that those are not eternal things. If that's where your security lies, you are going to be very insecure when it's revealed that none of that lasts. And Paul is speaking to that right now, saying, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever, I, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, but count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In other words, he is saying here, he has everything, had everything that the world could ask for. He had the right upbringing. He came from the right side of the tracks, the right family, the right education. He was being put into positions of power and authority and prestige. He had the right reputation. He was on the fast track for success in every way you can imagine. Everything that would give us security about our life. He says, I have that as much as you have, but more. You can't have a more privileged, secure life than I did. And he says, that is all rubbish compared to gaining Christ. That is all a, a, a foundation of sand that if you try to build your house upon, when the rains come and the storms come, you will get washed away. And as Jesus said, a great crash. In the end, that will be revealed. There is no security in those things now and certainly not into eternity. He says, the only security I have is if I gain Christ. And he has. And he has gained Christ in such a way. He has experienced the greatness of knowing Jesus in such a way that he's able to look in the face of death and say, for me to live is Christ. It's just more Christ if I live. And if I die, it's a gain. Wow. 
And again, I'm not saying we are in, in any way meant to be morbid of, oh, I want to die. No, the Bible gives no place for that. But it gives place for this authentic testimony to say God has become so real. The, the life, death, resurrection, infilling of the Holy Spirit, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ has become so real. It has become such a source of security for my eternity that I know deep down when I die, that's gain. That's glory. Glory is coming my way. That is an authentic testimony that I believe is meant to be an encouragement that pulls all of us towards a greater uh, a hunger for greater encounter with the salvation of Jesus. Not in any way so we can walk around morbidly wanting to die. Not at all. Please don't hear that in any fashion. But in a way where something happens in the soul, deep down, where a place of faith and hope rises up that says, in Christ, I know my security is, is, is absolutely rock solid. My eternity is secure. And when that day comes, it's going to be gain. That's a living example of someone who has been set free from slavery to the fear of death. That's someone who has encountered the fullness of the gospel. That in this life, more of Christ. In the life to come, the fullness of Christ. He says it like this. Whether by life or by death, I know this will turn out for my deliverance. We talked about it a bit before, but it's got to be mentioned again. That whole concept right there that Paul's talking about is so huge. As he's saying, this situation right now is a bad one. And he wants out. He wants out of prison. He's, he's no just martyr here, just, just kill me. I mean, you see him in the book of Acts all the time. Danger comes, and he is rightly saying, it's not my time to die. I need to go get somewhere else. So it's not just this morbid walking around, I want to die. He wants out of prison, and he does get out of prison. But there's this deep faith in the, in underneath it all that says, whatever happens here, the kingdom of God is going to reign in my life. Whatever happens in the situation, it's going to be for my deliverance. And that's the key word. The word there, this will turn out for my deliverance. And the word there, soteria. Soteria. Very, very crucial word in the New Testament. It's a little bit, I'm repeating here for those who were with us a few weeks ago. But it's so, so crucial. Because this is, this is the concept that he's living from. It's the word soteria, which has the root sozo, which, are, which is what is on Jesus' lips all the time to describe the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. It's what's on the, the, the pen of the writers of the gospel all the time to describe the, 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 the holistic picture of Jesus' ministry on earth. And so it's translated in several ways. Saved, healed, delivered. 
So when Jesus encounters someone who needs to be forgiven of their sins, he says, sozo has come upon you. You've been saved. When someone needs healing in their body, he says, sozo has come upon you. You've been healed. When someone needs to be delivered from a lie of the enemy or set free from the power and influence of the enemy in their life, he says, sozo has been has come upon you. You've been delivered. And this is the exact same word here. Paul uses this. It's this beautiful umbrella word that talks about the kingdom of God breaking in. And Paul is saying that whether by life or by death, I trust the kingdom of God is going to reign in me, in salvation, in healing, in deliverance. That is an incredible testimony. Paul is convinced that whether in life or death, God's soteria, his kingdom would reign. It's a fullness of the gospel of Jesus. And that's what the world needs right now. There are people out there, some souls need to be saved right now. They need to encounter for the first time that saving love of Jesus, that it was his death in your place on the cross. Some bodies need to be healed right now. There are friends and family that need physical healing, and that is absolutely clearly included by Jesus in the sozo, the healing work of heaven. When God's kingdom comes, when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven and breaks in and touches earth, healing comes upon bodies. There are many out there who need that right now. And some minds need to be delivered right now. As fear sweeps the world, oh my goodness, does not God's word stand out and say that when Christ reigns, when the kingdom of God reigns in our minds, we can be set free from the fear of death. We need to be delivered from fear and lies of the enemy. That's a gospel that the world needs. Paul is firmly, firmly convinced in the gospel, the full gospel, salvation, healing, deliverance. How did he get to that place? Being set free from slavery to fear? It's very simple. It's just greater encounter with Jesus Christ. That's what he said. I've cons- I consider everything I used to hold on to as security. I consider everything that used to be my source of, of pride and, and, and hope and strength. It's all rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ. There's nothing that will heal, save, and deliver your soul like genuine encounter with the risen and victorious Jesus Christ. So we're going to take the Lord's Supper. What is it that we're celebrating? We are celebrating the fullness of the gospel, the same fullness that Paul spoke of. 
the same fullness that says some souls need to be saved right now. Some bodies need to be healed right now. Some minds need to be delivered right now. That in in taking the elements in the Lord's Supper, that we honor and worship Jesus as the one who in the new covenant brought all of that. That's what the new covenant is. It's all of it. It's all of the power of heaven to transform all of the brokenness of earth. That's the gospel that we believe. As I was talking with my wife yesterday, she, called, she said a phrase that, that it just, man, it hit my heart so near and dear. It's like, what, what is the gospel that we believe? And she says, we believe the stand up and fight gospel. Oh, and I love that. The stand up and fight gospel. The, the, the gospel for our life that Jesus modeled and Paul's living out here is a gospel that stands up and fight for every single thing on earth that does not yet look like heaven. So if it's a soul that needs to be saved, we stand up and fight for that soul. If it's a body that needs to be healed, we stand up and fight for that body. If it's a mind that needs to be delivered, we stand up and fight for that mind. And you get to fight like that too. You have authority and permission from Jesus that that's how you're supposed to fight. And even when things don't go well, even when things don't look victorious, you, that never changes your marching orders. Never, ever. If, it, if you think it does, you're changing the gospel. Even Paul can say, right now, this horrible situation will turn out for my deliverance, for more of the kingdom of God, for more of God's soteria, for more of his saving, healing, delivering power. And so we have those marching orders to hold on to this stand up and fight gospel that never looks at the face of evil and says, oh, okay, guess that's God's will. Jesus never once did that. Never once in the face of someone who needed salvation. Never once in the face who needed healing. Never once in the face of someone who needed deliverance. He never, never blessed any of those things and said they're God's good gifts to you. They're God's will for you. They're God's punishment upon you. None of that. He just saw it as evil and he fought against it and said the kingdom of God is coming upon you. So we have a beautiful permission today, church, to receive for ourselves and pass on to others this stand up and fight gospel. So I want to give us a few minutes here to to take the communion elements. Take the body, take the blood, and receive it for yourself afresh. The stand up and fight gospel. So for yourself, maybe you need to receive today salvation for the first time. Maybe you know that your, your soul is not right with God. You don't have peace with God. You don't know where you're going when you die. And you need that gospel, good news of Jesus' death and life and resurrection to save you. Or maybe it's that you need the, the healing gospel for yourself, for your own body. Receive the body and blood of Jesus as your healing. That's what Isaiah 53 says, that incredible passage. He bore our infirmities. By his stripes we are healed. That's part of what we need to partake in when we receive the new covenant. He carried up, the the literal meaning means he took away, he carried them away, all of our sickness and disease. So we want to say we take communion today to believe that is the heart of God. 
Or maybe you need to receive a fresh deliverance today. That your mind has just been wrestling. Your mind has been bogged down by by an ungodly fear of of death, fear of the future. And you say, I want to grab on, Jesus, to the deliverance that you bring. It says, I don't have a spirit of fear. I have power, love, and a sound mind, a renewed mind. And maybe you can receive all of those for yourself. And my challenge would be, will you take some time right now, as you receive communion, would you be an ambassador of intercession and pray for someone in your life? Think of a family member or a friend and just receive communion on their behalf and pray for them. If you know they need to encounter the salvation of God, pray for them. Invite them to church next Easter or next Sunday. Pray that they would receive that salvation of God. Or if you know friends and family that need healing, pray for them. Pray for our nation. If nothing else, we need it. Pray for our world. And the same with that deliverance. Pray that the spirit of fear would have no place in our life, in our nation. So I want to encourage you, church, as we take communion right now. I'm just going to give maybe five minutes or so. Ryan's just going to play a little instrumental in the background. Make this a holy and sacred time between you and God where you receive an aspect of his salvation, of his kingdom, and then you pass it on in prayer, in intercession for someone else. One more time, Luke 22, excuse me, Luke twenty two nineteen. Jesus said this. He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's pray. Let's receive the communion elements together. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you went to the cross to destroy the power of death. We ask that your Holy Spirit would encounter each one of us right now out in our living rooms and our own spaces, that your Holy Spirit would move. And as we hold the body and the blood, that you would help us in a real and a fresh way to encounter the living and risen Jesus who has sat down because your work is done. But we need to receive more of it. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would help lead us today to receive where we need to receive your body and blood. Where do we need to receive afresh your salvation? whether it's forgiveness of sins or healing of our body or deliverance for our mind or all of it. Speak clearly, Lord. Expose the truth so that we can encounter you in greater measure. And as we do that, would you also bring something to mind that we can take communion for someone else, that we can receive communion as an act of intercession and pray for our world, for our nation, for our state or city or neighbor. So let's do both of those things right now, church, as an act of worship in communion, 
receive it for yourself. Receive it on behalf of someone else and, and pray for them. And if that sounds a little weird to say receive it on behalf of someone else, what, what, what does God say in 2 Chronicles, that famous passage about prayer? It says, when my people repent, when my people repent, I will heal their land. It doesn't say when everyone out there repents. It says when my people, on behalf of their friends, family, neighbors, and land, when my people turn to me and pray, I will heal the land. There's no better way to do that than take communion and declare the, the blood of Jesus over friends and family. So let's do that right now. Let's take some time.
want to encourage everyone to continue in a in a posture of receiving the Lord's Supper. And we're going to close with one final worship song and, and want to encourage you to respond authentically. If you want to join in and, and sing the song, then do it. If you want to uh, just listen to the words and, and just meditate on the, the beauty of them as a heart response. If you want to keep uh, doing your own responding to God in, in the time of receiving these elements, then do that. And if you haven't, I would encourage you as part of that receiving the Lord's Supper, taking communion on behalf of others. If you haven't prayed as a group, I encourage you to pray with your family. It can be short and quick. I know especially with kids, they'll run all over the place. But maybe even with a spouse, pray. Pray for someone. Declare the power of of Jesus' blood upon them, their life. Pray for others right now. So important to do. So important. Prayer, the prayer of the saints will turn the tide of this nation in this time. And that's not just wishful thinking. It's a reality. That's what God's word says. When my people come, they come back to me. They return. They repent. They pray. I'll change a world. I'll change a nation. So let's keep, keep doing that, church. Keep praying. Every day, pray for somebody other than yourself. Declare God's salvation upon them. Healing and deliverance. Let's do that right now if you haven't already. Let's just, in, your, in whatever way is authentic to what God's doing, respond to God right now. Maybe it's you need to be journaling some things. Maybe God's really showing you some stuff, and you need to just remember it, write it down, come back and do your business with God. But let's respond genuinely with what God's doing right now, church. Dance a new dance now.